0: To Splatbook, the RPG Topics podcast. If this is your first episode, we talk about tabletop RPG design, but we're doing something a little different today. This show is brought to you by the generous contributions of the lovely backers of the Map Crow Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com/slash MapCrow and pledge today to show your support and gain exclusive access to the Map Crow Secret Sketchbook. My name is Kyle, and with me today is my favorite game master, John.
1: Well, if it isn't the
0: cold prince,
1: Kyle Latino. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, what
0: are goodness. we talking
1: about today, Kyle? We got it kind of a fun topic. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. After we had so much fun talking about the uh, 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 Sailors on the Starless Sea uh, funnel module from uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, we decided that we would talk about uh, the Winter's Daughter, which is a. Um, a, a the first full adventure from the Dolman Wood setting by Gavin Norman, who uh, AKA a, a, the uh, the Necrotic Gnome. That's right, <laughs> the, the the Necrotic Gnome. So and 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 is is actually the uh, individual responsible for um, uh, the individual responsible for publishing Old School Essentials.
1: Yes, which uh, which you are published in as an artist, and you and I both love as a yes. game. Uh, for those not familiar, just super quick: Old School Essentials is um, a sen- it's an old school Renaissance game. It is functionally uh, a conversion of Basic and Expert D anD D, like like the Moldvay version. Um, but he put in some other good rules from. Other old games. So it has Thacko from AD&D second edition and a couple It has optional ascending or descending armor classes. So he took those rules and cleaned them up. And then he did an, an advanced version, which is a cleaned up version of AD&D. But this one is, is strictly for the sort of very basic uh, version of, of D&D, the, the basic old school essentials, which is my favorite one so
0: yeah and so i suppose i need to do some full disclosure on on yeah. this is uh, you know gavin uh, so yeah, yeah i do i yeah well we we've we've since lost contact with one another i i because i uh
1: because you're busy adults and there's live stuff there's continents. stuff going on so we're
0: it's not like we're close personal friends <laughs> and uh and you're but not the awake whole...
1: at the same time either right like it's that's not like true yeah hang he's, on on Discord either. Either. <laughs> um, he's in um, england you're in ohio so yeah
0: yes but i i remain a great admirer of his work and uh not not just in kind of like almost like the archival practice of of republishing like older rules um with a with a cleaner language um but also just like the dolman wood setting is something he'd been working on for a long time um back when, back when the old school essentials used to be called BX essentials, which was yes. stood for basic expert. Um, and, uh, that didn't make any sense to anybody. So he changed the name to old school <laughs> essentials. Uh, but I, uh, I loved the, So the Dolman Wood setting is basically, it was this series of zines. I think there were about 10 of them. Um, yeah. And, and I think
1: there's a Kickstarter coming to, like yes. big, i i've got my eye out for that because i am 100 buying that but anyway and
0: yes. essentially it's this giant hex crawl that is just filled with these kind of dark fairy tale uh style encounters they they, yes. they tend to be on a little bit more on the grizzly side um but they're not kind of like explicit necessarily but you know it, it may not it may not be t- to everybody's taste i'm trying to think about uh what perhaps the closest the closest analogy for this kind of thing would be.
1: It makes me feel like in many ways like a Grimms fairy tale or or an older fairy tale where where the ending isn't quite so clean. It's not quite Grimms, but it's Yeah. It's Grimms by way of of heavy metal in D D almost, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well and there's also a good touch of Suzanne Clark's um uh, Mr. Norrell and Doctor Strange, or, or vice versa. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Doctor Strange and Mr. Norrell. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, and I think I think that is is a a really good touch point for kind of the themes of fae contracts that pervade Winter's Daughter. So Winter's Daughter is is a short 24-page adventure that takes place in a specific area on that big Dolman Wood setting yes. map. But you don't actually need that whole setting to run this. It works really, really well just on its own. You just have to kind of buy into the basic um, premise that I think is, is really uh, handily delivered um, in the opening pages
1: one thing that's super interesting about how Gavin writes and I and I like it especially for an old school module because like I think we we talked about in a lot of our appendix and we talked about the prose and the style of prose and how that impact our feelings. Gavin writes like the story is super clear cuz he writes it largely in bullet points. Right. Yes. So um so there is uh, let me summarize the story um in the Dolmanwood setting Elves are not like elves in Tolkien that just sort of live alongside humans. Actually, I shouldn't say I haven't, because I've read the certainly what I'm picking up from Winter's Daughter, but right. they're actually from the Fairyland, from the Fae. They they live there and have and some of them have crossed over into human lands. But in this case, there's, a, there's um, Frost Elves who have crossed over and they're in this wood, um, turning it into Eternal Winter. And there's a human champion that rises up, Sir Chide, and he leads the humans to defeat the elves. This is all in the backstory, but he falls in love with um, the Frost Kings, the Cold Prince's daughter, right? And, and they fall in love. And this, this adventure takes place at the, uh, at a weak point between the human realms and the fairy realms where Sir Chide lies in state. And just on the other side in the fae realms, uh, the lady awaits for him to wake up. Um, so it's a romance set in this very old fashioned romantic, uh, setting. So what, you know, that's the high level summary. What else would you add to that? I,
0: yeah, I would, I would go, I would go even push on this a little bit more, um, with the, the bullet points. It makes it really easy to grasp, even though there's, there's probably technically more text than your average opening title crawl to a star Wars, uh, movie, um, All of these elements, it's telling you, it's telling you, it's connecting it to the things that the players are going to need to understand and what the players can interact with during the game. So it is, it is not, it is not just backstory to, for coloring. It is backstory because this is going to be, this is helping you learn the world so you can kind of roll with whatever situation unfolds in the game.
1: I wonder and I don't again I don't know him, we don't regularly communicate with him, but I wonder if Gavin's gift might actually be clarity and brevity. Like oh, he, yeah. like like if you read the old school essentials book or if you read this adventure, he does not waste a word, I feel like. And it's clear, but it, especially in this one, it's all essential. Like like I understand this story completely from his writing and it's wonderful. So
0: yeah, I, and I would say uh, uh, the thing that the big – if we are to contrast this with sailors of a starless – sailors on the starless on sea. On the starless sea, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get our prepositions correct. Yeah. Um, so uh, the big difference here is like all of the that purple prose box text is basically gone. Uh, right. You are, it is, it is, this is giving you the information that you need to run the situation and then getting out of your way and just trusting that you're going to, you have it from here. Uh, so uh, where it probably took me like an hour and a half to prep for, Sailors on the starless sea, singular. <laughs> <laughs> Instead um,
1: of winters, plural daughter.
0: Actually, it'd be winters, winters, winter's possessive, possessive daughter. Singular <laughs> possessive daughter. Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> what is this show? Why do we do this? Why, why do show? We, why does anybody yeah. listen to it? Um, I love it. Uh, so, so uh, the. It, 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 it took me probably an hour and a half to feel like I understood what was going to happen basically in every room. And even though that, the, you know, sailors on a starless sea, on the starless sea, <laughs> is going to drive me insane. Uh, even on in sailors, there's like half the number of locations. It took yeah. me probably twice as long to read through and really grok it.
1: There's a lot more text. This is also, I I mean, we should mention this is digest sized. So, so I think even though it's a similar number of pages to, to sailors, it's, it's way shorter. I think like, I haven't done a word count, but I would bet a large amount of money that the number of letters in this book is way less than sailors on this starless sea.
0: I, I don't know that it is designed. It would be a good idea to just, just like open up and start running it. But right. give your, you know, with within a half hour, you're gonna have it. You're gonna, you're gonna have your hands around this pretty good. And I think that bullet point style also leads it into just working really well with uh, Mike Shea's um, uh, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. You yeah. know, your ten secrets per session. It's just yeah. like you just basically he's written just a ton of secrets and clues for you to put into your campaign prep. Uh, and so every, every, I think this is kind of designed to be run as a single session game. And I think you, you could definitely do that, but like you would kind of have to speed run it. You would, you would yeah. have to make some tough cuts in order to make, to, to make a theory. There hour is hour a hour.
1: huge story here. And I think what also makes it, I don't even want to say easy to run, but easy to grasp, right? It may still be challenging to run is that the story is pure classic romance. Yeah. And I found it really, despite the fact that it is pure classic romance i found it really engaging to read you know what i mean like i was curious about these two characters the lady of the woods sir chide them falling in love you know the creation of this place where he's entombed um i thought all that was great and then when you get to the actual tomb the descriptions all of those pages that you've read fit you know they just the, the the encounter area is just fill in the blanks, like in the encounter, like they're married and they have a ring that joins them. Well, you find that ring, but you've already know about it because you've read the intro and you know how to react. And you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, That's, I take the point that you're making. Yeah,
0: it really it builds it brick by brick from the foundation, but there's not. This is this is a smallish Lego set. It's, it's, yes. it's, it's elegance, it's in its brevity, right? Uh, yes and, and I think this really gets at what I really want to harp on with with what I, I find so fantastic about this um, module is that uh, it de- it develops situations more than it does like say, this is the story that your players are going to have. It's like, this is the situation your players find themselves in the middle of. uh, And, and it, but it does a great job of just like passing the talking shell back to the players and saying, here, here, now, what do you have to say? What, what do you, here's the situation. What do you do as opposed to don't do the wrong thing or you'll go off script, which is, I think what a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, modules tend to fall into that problem.
1: Yeah, the first one's actually interesting, the very first encounter if you're ready to to dive into it, the yeah, first yeah, thing yeah. the players would run into is is a sacrifice. Druids are sacrificing someone on an altar. The the encounter is called the Sacrifice at the Withing Stones. And yeah. it seems pretty cut and dried, right? Like attack the druids, save the the sacrifice, everything's great, except the person who's going to be sacrificed um doesn't want to be rescued. Like this is her life's goal is to be sacrificed to this beast. Um so like like the players have a choice to make here. Um and I think that's super interesting. But it's a situation where you could make a bunch of like a it's a situation where you normally wouldn't say, Yes, there's a ton of great opportunities for choice for players here and say, Well, there actually are. Right? Like it's not as simple as as uh but it's, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm babbling, but if no, not sense. at all.
0: I, I do want to skip out of order real quick because there's a the, the, the best example I think of this situation uh-huh. uh, is is actually on page 21 in the fairy kitchen, much later on. <laughs> I love where, the fairy kitchen, yeah. Yeah, you have, you have two uh, frost elf cooks it says. Yes. And it says, you know, um, two frost elf cooks, chubby short and stout Pearly eyes, twinkling, uh, blue skin, frost chilled, flustered, but orderly. And all of this is just like, it's a, just a bullet point of just like, here are the yes. words. You, some of them are bolded. Some of them are in um, uh, uh, parentheses to really just like, here is here is all of the stuff that you need to know about this. The reaction. Shout orders demanding PCs help carry more food to the feast. No. They are uh that they sorry they know that the princess's guests await the arrival of Sir Chide her betrothed, and that's it yeah that the whole thing can fit on a post it note,
1: yes, and I actually and, really like that um he he does this for every every encounter, it doesn't have all three of these, but there's three there's reaction, yeah, how does and there's wants, what is it what does the creature in the area want? And what does it know in terms of, like, knowledge, not N-O? Um, yeah. And and those are always, like you said, it's a post-it note. And even our main characters, Sir Chide and the Lady, have the same little post-it note, right? Yeah. Their motivations are simple and described, um, and I think that helps exactly with what you're saying.
0: But it, it does a great job. It does have, like, a little uh, a little stat block for the elf cooks. So it's just yeah. like, you know, here's how much... HP they have here's how easy they are to kill you know uh, here's here's what kind of fight they can put up but really like the big thing is like once they detect that you are there they are going to get you involved in the situation yes. and it is and it, and that is weird and unexpected but also fitting at the same time and it all goes together and it and it basically it says here's the situation they want you to work and and work in the kitchen and help get all this food out to the guests they're not they don't care that they never have seen you before. They right. and so what are you going to do with this? And it's you, this you you can you can imagine making some kind of social test and a charisma check. You know some kind of persuasion, some kind of intimidation. You could imagine all kinds of things that that come out of this. And it, there is no correct answer this this, this right. is a n- nice little situation that fits in the middle of the action that everybody is going to remember and i actually i, I think some of my favorite role playing encounters that i've run as a dm have been in kitchens uh just yeah. because it's it's like it's those little mundane things that actually open things up you get a giant snarling beast and somebody says roll initiative you know you the, the kind of the level of surprise dwindles off fairly quickly but this situation is is delightful and memorable and it doesn't require a specific outcome to be able to run this uh uh, successfully
1: and so a place like a kitchen is so fun it's like almost like a jackie chan movie could break out in the middle of it right like i grab the pot and i throw the water and i think you know (laughs) it could be it could be super fun but yes and i love that and i love there's another thing i love about this is if you look through the encounters first of all there's an encounter with the druids at the beginning all of these all of the creatures in this none of them are familiar like like there are some skeletons but they're floating skeletons right yes or um there are these objects there's a place called the hall of the guardians and the, the the guardians are these religious objects they're not even creatures and you've got to figure out how to navigate these religious objects like like no situation really except for maybe the worm tongues of uh, these like these like you know, worm-like creatures are straight up, like getting a fight and kill them kind of encounters. All of the encounters feel like they lend themselves to another kind of activity.
0: Yeah. So essentially this is a, for all of its preamble and kind of like getting, this is a start at the dungeon situation. Yes. And, and there are several different hooks and reasons to, to to involve the PCs in this, but essentially they are led to believe that there is this magic ring that is on the finger of this, you know, fallen knight, and yes. that they're going to be promised riches and or betrothal to this fairy princess should they retrieve this ring, and of course... There's a lot more going on that they right. will discover as they go through. But there's also lots of clues and, 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 and ways to figure out what that story is before they find themselves kind of like past the point of no return. Uh, so it's right. not just like, aha, you were working for the bad guy the whole time, you know, like <laughs> it's, it, you don't have to wait for that rug to get pulled because there was no way to figure out ahead of time. There's lots of clues as you go through this tomb that has been decorated, uh, uh, you know, and, and adorned in a way to honor the life and the events of this, uh, of this fallen night so that yes. you can probably really put these pieces together well before you're actually asked to make a decision one way or the other what you're going to do with this magic soul ring that you're finding. I, I mean, even even as you're entering the tomb, you have a, a, a this D4 um, table of, of random encounters, and one of them is a huge warty toad creeps over, eyes the PCs quizzically, and utters a single croaking word, betrayal, you know? <laughs> yeah and that's that so good. the first thing that happens in this game
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: i love and, that. And it and it's just like does that mean again it's a wonderful situation it's flavorful it it hints at kind of the themes of the whole backstory and everything but it's also just like what do the players do with that situation do they can can this warty huge toad say anything else does it leave? Does it stick around? Is it, you know, like what is are what is the relationship now between the PCs and this um, and this uh, 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 monster? You know, like uh, that's what I love about this so much is it, it is so open ended, and because you understand the world and its relationships uh so clearly by the time you get to the, the the to actually running the the beginning of this dungeon you can you can just run with it however you want there is no more information about what this huge warty toad desires for you right it's just there to say betrayal and then see what happens <laughs>
1: yes <laughs> yeah and i uh and also that the other part of what you just said is there's uh, this sense of sort of uh I don't want to say prankish delight because cause you could take it very seriously, but but like those cooks and the toad are just such great examples of joy and fun in an adventure yeah. because they're the another one that's great as you get further in. There's a another random events table once you're in in the Fey realms, um, and one of the things you can run to is a laden sleigh pulled by white stags rushes through the forest. A goblin sleigh rider brings gifts to the tower: fairy fruits, ice wines, and a cauldron of steaming soup, like. You're just—it's just somebody taking dinner to the to to the princess in the tower. Like, it doesn't even tell you what to do. But there's a there's an encounter for that. But I just love that there's—it's just great. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm
0: yeah. I mean, sorry, uh, but that's—I think that's like if you learn nothing else, like if you are finding yourself continually frustrated that your campaign is not going the direction you expected it to. Or anything like that, or if you just need like a an example for how to write an adventure without w- without this huge overarching plot, like this is right. this is the textbook example. Um, yes,
1: yeah, it's what I love. It's what I'm always told the OSR is, right? Yes, uh, it's not a throughline narrative. There is a throughline narrative here, but the situations and the res- resolution of those are all up to the players and. Um, what I love about it in particular is it just has this old school fantasy feel to it that a lot of things don't I I we had talked about um, there was another adventure that came with this Kickstarter that I like called Halls of the Blood King which is not written by Gavin Norman mm. uh, I'll put the credits in the in the show notes but it is sort of a more classic D&D adventure but it still has this similar kind of backstory it's like you're going to the there's, there's a once, uh, I don't know, a once in forever meeting of the vampire lord with all his vampire underlings and you as higher level characters are going to like bust up this in the halls of the Blood King. Um, it has that same kind of feel, but in a much more metal sort of darker way. So I guess what I'm saying is I love this, like I love this sort of romantic sense, but you could still do this in a much, you know, in a heavy metal way too and, as, and have the through line in the encounters.
0: I think one of the other things that I love so much is like this absolutely could, if you have a certain kind of of player group, I think you could make it all the way through this without getting into a single fight. If you don't want
1: to. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I don't think there's really any big gotcha moments. Uh, uh, I think, yeah, probably the only, the only thing that is going to attack you as soon as it sees you is these, these kind of like creepy, creepy worm tongue, you know, slug monsters. And yeah. that's it. Everything else is go- it has a an if-then statement attached to it. You know, it's yes. just like these floating skeletons. You know, the reaction is uh, they welcome strangers to join the dance. They attack vehemently if any coffers are disturbed. So you kind of have to—you see them, you see what's around them, and then you choose— to go in on that to begin with there's you know there's another example um, further on if a non lawful character sets foot in this room the objects float into the air and attack right like there's right. there's all kinds of there's all kinds of, of of ways that it's like it's setting up this stuff now you might you might not necessarily guess that if you're an evil aligned or a chaotic aligned chaotic character, character that these things are going to do it. But presumably you have, if you're playing in this setting, you're, you kind of understand that alignment actually does matter somewhat. Right. And right. This is a yeah. great way of reinforcing that.
1: Exactly. Like the, like the classic thing, right. It's just, um, you know, I, I want to be chaotic cause I want, I don't want to have to have consequences or repercussions or have to behave in a certain <laughs> way. Well, now you do. And that's part yeah. of And that's how that should be used. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just, is, yeah, it just underscores the author's understanding of those basic tools and how yeah. to bring them into play,
0: right? And yeah. and it's, I think this kind of writing works really, really well in a system that is somewhat more paired back than, say, Pathfinder or 5th edition, because... It uh, uh, there aren't quite as many mechanical parts to to, to really go through. There aren't uh, you know this myriad of skills and feats that are going to negate all of this. You know, right. it's looking at the few things that are on your character sheet and finding ways to involve player action or you know player choice in character creation in that. And I think. I think that uh, that these these you know kind of poltergeist religious items in this this, this old altar is something that I, I think really uses alignment, um, in in an interesting way. But you you really want to make sure that it lands as to why that happened, right? Uh, because I don't think that your average fifth edition enjoyer is going to understand. <laughs> Why they were singled out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because they've never ever had to think about their alignment before. Right, right. You just need to make sure that you are doing a great job onboarding people to the expectations of how the setting is reinforced with the choices, with the features of your character sheet.
1: Yeah. And I, the other thing, just a little, a bunch of little touches like the elf cook. So, so the goblin that I just told the story about his name is griddle And when he gets to the tower, he has a, a troll whose shoulders he ro- rides around on. And that troll's name is grimole Um, you know, and just, a, it's just a bunch of funny little connections that I absolutely love. And he says, Dolman troll and Dolman goblin. Cause he's sort of taking these things just like he did with the elves and making them his own, yeah. which I think is great. Um, You know, I think that, yeah, I just think he's taking this framework and making it his own. And that's what's so wonderful.
0: Uh, You have some really wonderful magic items that you can pull out of here. Uh, There's a a magic uh, freezing mirror. It's like a full yes. length mirror hanging on the wall that can cause you to like paralyze if you if you're caught yeah. into it, which is is a, a really kind of like interesting little trap situation to fall into. And then immediately people are going to think like, hey, can we can we move this this mirror? Can we take it off the wall and use this as as a you know, maybe we'll toss a blanket over it and then you know we can we can actually use this in all these kinds of encounters which is really fascinating but also this mirror has a silver frame and it is set up earlier in this book that um that uh, these particular fey creatures shrink from both pure iron and earthly um uh uh, earthly silver So these cause problems. So it's like, it's, it's kind of getting back to that, that idea. It's just like this magic item is not just a, a a plus one, uh, a boot bonus to something. It is this, this, this item that has material properties that you have to consider. It doesn't just fit in your pocket and it has all of these extra tags and things to, to, to interact with all kinds of, Open-ended situations, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's just like this 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 adventure is full of all kinds of really thoughtful details like that.
1: Yeah, it's that's interesting, and I think the silver thing in particular, like like the the, the elves in this story and in Dolmen would act like elves in a classic fairy story. So if you yeah. go back to first edition AD and D, one of the quote unquote problems right with an elf is they're just kind of superheroes. Yeah. Right? like the only limitation they have is if they, you know, their their class level limitation. Yeah. Like just for those of you who don't know AD and D well, uh, if you were demi human, elf, dwarf, halfling, you could be. You had a limit on what class you could be, and then you had a limit on what level you could achieve. So, like, if you were an elf magic user, you could only go to level eleven, for example. Whereas a, a more interesting limitation on an elf character would be uh, terrified of cold iron and silver. Right. Like yeah. <laughs> um, that would that would be a much more interesting counter. It's like Superman and Kryptonite. Right. It's a much more interesting counterbalance to these superheroic elves that you see in D&D compared to to the elves here, which I also absolutely love.
0: Yeah. And it's again, it's it's very grokkable uh, if then situations like just just a very simple procedure if an elf touches iron this happens if an yes. elf touches there's no uh, silver, this happens yeah. right yeah. like and it's just like you know it's it's make this if you see this mirror this happens right and that is a, a wide open system that can be brought into all kinds of creative solutions uh and and it's it would be the easiest way of of uh you know complicating that for a gm is, is is just to say like you know it's it's like well you cannot you cannot dodge out of the way of this of this you know fireball attack and take your mirror with you you have to you have to choose right, like, right. you know there's there's all kinds of be, just because of like the bulkiness of this thing it really makes this interesting cost benefit analysis to the situation
1: there's there's another magic item i love which is the pouch of limitless fungi um <laughs> That, oh. ha- that each one has uh, a random effect that, and they're all hilarious. Like one can just turn you purple forever. Um, the other one, uh, you become transparent for six turns. Like uh, you know, I, I just that makes me laugh because some of them are great. It's like the uh, it's like a less. Uh, it's like a less terrifying deck of many things, right? Like, <laughs> yes, it, yeah.
0: it is. It is definitely, and I mean that's another kind of thing that, for some reason, uh, the old school Renaissance movement has almost from the very beginning really like. Not only do they love random tables, they love random tables about what happens when you take magic drugs and mushrooms. <laughs> that is, yeah, that the is game something did start like, in
1: the seventies. I just want to point that out. Yeah,
0: well, so. yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. But a lot of the people, I mean, this, this kind of like shows that I came, I came, became into awareness of the OSR well after it had gotten going with a kind of like new guard of, of like people who are even younger than I am, uh, who <laughs> right. kind of started writing for it. But I, I, I don't, I guess I don't know how old Gavin is. I assume that Gavin's around my age are a little bit younger, but I I, I could be wrong about that.
1: I always assumed he was my age because he seemed to have such a grasp of the essentials of those B and X games. You know what yeah, I mean?
0: Like, he clearly I, gets I, it. So, gosh, that's uh, I, I, it's, I'll have to look into that. That's, that's so, uh Yeah, Gavin, I, Gavin, get back to us.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's one other thing I love about this game, which is it has it has what's called an epilogue. Yes, and in it there are sort of, you know, he he takes the logical like three the three most logical outcomes. To this adventure. It's not prescriptive. It's not saying this is what happens next. But what it does do is it creates an opportunity for future adventures. Yes. Right? So so the players could get trapped in Fairyland, they could steal the ring and be pursued or you know like like different things can happen and they're just saying to the jam like if you want to continue this adventure, here's the next thing that could happen. Which yeah. I love because I I sort of even though we do this in my current VASSIN game, uh, for for d and D, I I kind of like the story to be like, rather than an episodic monster of the week, like somebody hires you to do this and go do this, kind of like the ending of um, Sailors on the Starless Sea, like, like, the end is just the beginning of the next adventure. And yeah. I think that is a great narrative way to keep your game moving. Rather than... Like, Vassin has this whole mechanic where you go back to home base and you improve. And I actually like that in the Vassin yeah. context. But in this adventure fantasy adventure context, like, wouldn't it be great to have them go through all this, get stuck in the fairy realms, then they've got to figure out to get away home, and then, then we get home. Maybe it's years later, or maybe, you know, like, like it's just a string of adventures that could happen that just seems really great to me
0: I, I think that's what I love about this uh, it, yeah I agree and it because it's like you can have it, it gives you all of these suggestions for where the story could go next because it doesn't know what you're going to do with the soul ring it doesn't know it, it doesn't know what you're going to do uh, with uh, with the princess it do, you know it doesn't presume a specific outcome that leads into the next thing but it it does it does make the presumption that no matter what solution you what, how you wrap things up, there's always going to be some kind of loose thread to tug on um, yes. because this cold prince is, is kept very handily out of this adventure. Yes. Uh, so always, no matter what, if you if you start tweaking around with all the little pieces and components of this adventure, you are have a strong chance of doing something that is going to attract the attention of of this, um, of this cold prince, and that can that can lead to some pretty interesting situations.
1: I want to run this actually in my regular group. Murph um, has been running OS uh, old school essentials for his family, and I want him to run it for us. But if he doesn't want to run it, I want to run it, and I would probably start with this adventure as heck the yeah. intro adventure.
0: Yeah, heck yeah. I, I I kind of have a difficult time imagining a better start to a a dark fantasy campaign than this. Yeah. I think it's super, super good. Uh, It doesn't have that kind of same frenetic energy as a funnel. It doesn't have this kind of gonzo nature to it, but it still has a a strong sense of whimsy, but it keeps that danger from kind of leaning into the Looney Tunes like... Yes aspect of a funnel like uh, like sailors does. Um, yes,
1: it's a little it's more serious than that. I'd also like to say something I enjoy very much about it and does the PDF I've got my physical book here. What does the cover on the PDF book look like? Is it the same as the yes, it is. I, yeah. I love the art in this it is not super. Uh, realistic it is very abstract but like on the cover you have this toad this princess this owl and these like plinth stones with these whirling symbols on them it's it's it looks like a trip and uh and i think that sets the tone really well
0: i love it actually and remember a vision of a beautiful woman dressed in all white with stars upon her brow she appears in an empty space saying the ring the ring holds the key, my eternal salvation, before disappearing into the mist. Black book is a proud part of Roll For It Media. Be sure to check out our sister show, Roll For Topic, wherever fine podcasts are purveyed, or on their website, gmdiscussions.com. And please, leave us a five-star review on your podcasting app of choice. It really helps people find the show. Did you have any questions about the show? Did you feel we left anything out? Did you have some strong opinion about something that we shared? Leave us a voice message on the Splatphone by going to bit.ly splatphone and we might even play your message on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Latino or subscribe to my YouTube channel Mapcrow, And you can follow john in your hearts our intro track was summer fall winter spring by bob james from the album lucky seven from 1979 and our closing track was the title track from the album a secret place by grover washington jr from 1976 please stay tuned for some cut bitlets Well, it is it is very time-consuming, <laughs> yeah. is what it is. Uh, but I really enjoy it. I, um, uh, you know, I basically, I, I, I took this whole week with Spring Break for me, okay. and I, I did everything. So what I did was I basically set a bunch of little game jams for myself. Cool. So I, I recreated Pong, Breakout, Space Invaders... Joust, Burger Time, and Quop.
1: Burger Time, yeah. (laughs) You know what game I was always terrible at? Like, I just could never get it. Joust used to make me crazy. Oh, I
0: love that game.
1: I'm not. It's it's it requires a sort of level of of control and because it's like the default is actually if there's a modern game I compare it to, it's Doodle Jump. Whereas it's the opposite of what you think you're doing. Is like when you want to take an action, you actually take your hands away like in joust you're you're doing an action to get in position but when you actually want to do the drop and hit somebody you're like oh stop yeah. you know it's like yeah. it's the opposite of what the does that make sense
0: yes because yeah. you you want to if you're so the way the joust works is if your lance is higher than your opponents right. and you hit and you collide with them sideways then you kill them otherwise right. they kill you Uh, which, which is really, really elegant, but it also means that you're flat, flat, flat to get higher. And then you kind of want to stop. So you don't like, you don't keep going. So yeah, it's It's like flappy bird, but yes, but better. I,
1: and actually, can we just say from an aesthetic standpoint, I love the idea. Of the game, which is that you are jousting on giant flying ostriches. Like, where yes. did that come from? I think that's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, it's like it's it's kind of like this old sense of like you know, it, it, 80s swords and sorcery kind of like weird yeah. sci-fi. Like, like he- I mean, it's like just,
1: heavy metal magazine, and then yeah, yeah, it's weird. So it,
0: it's it's a really wonderful aesthetic, uh, even yeah. though the pixel graphics don't really show it. Like the the, no. the, the old cabinets have this beautiful stuff. Let's read the stuff. The okay. <clears throat> Welcome to Splatbook, the RPG Topics podcast. If this is your first episode, we talk about table art, table talk. <laughs> we one Dang more time it. coming in the top. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I you know, I just noticed that we have an, a a message from Christopher Salzman on the Splat phone.
1: Oh, do we now?
0: Yes. Uh so I just I put I put a link into the text if uh maybe we well, can Well, we've
1: got 10 minutes. I could we can listen really quick respond and then cut back. Yeah, let me um let me get it. Uh so before we get into our main topic today, uh we did get a new Splat phone message. This is a response from the villagers uh, that live just beneath the keep uh, on top of the Starless Sea. So they requested a right to respond to our energetic enthusiasm about sailors on the Starless Sea. So here we go, we'll play a clip. Hello council, thank you for having me today. I'm here to lodge a formal complaint against these masters of the dungeon who keep on showing up to our town, taking our townsfolk and sending them through that godforsaken castle. Look, it is hard enough living near the Star of the Sea and the Chaos Lords and all the rituals and all that without also having to worry about things like,
0: is the grocer going to be alive tomorrow? Will the, uh, will the cobbler become a beast man? It is exhausting living here. Please, I ask you, do something about this. Shut them down. I don't know. Make them run through this
1: dungeon. Make them take on the Chaos Lords. Maybe then it'll stop. So what do you think, Kyle? I- I think that's fair. Perhaps we were insensitive to the villagers living. Uh, you know, I I hadn't thought that if you didn't have a baker, you couldn't have any bread the next day. You know what I mean? Like,
0: well, you know uh, that that is uh, uh, this is there's, there's a weird presumption here uh, from these townsfolk that I I myself was played several of these. You know, I, w- I was run through this funnel before I started running it. Uh, And I would say that that perhaps um, perhaps these people just need to live a little, you know, uh, 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 what what is what is worse? I would I would put this I would put this to the person who sent that message. Uh, What is worse Um, to die without ever having truly lived or to live as if it's your last day on Earth?